really going according to plan? I mean, not only that, but we, we take our own kind of uh, local community. I mean, like, what, what is being taught in schools? Uh, you know, the, the idea of kind of family values, a Christian nation, all of that seems to be disintegrating. I, I uh, personally had this moment, and my daughter's here, so I want to speak very, uh, very respectfully uh, to her and, and, and not to embarrass uh, her at all, but I, I looked at her phone, this was earlier in the year, uh, in the summer, I just looked at her, at her phone, which is an agreement that we have between the two of us, that I'm occasionally going to look at what it is that she's looking at and who it is that she's talking to, and I was horrified. And not necessarily the things that, that my daughter was, was saying necessarily, but, I mean, she's a part of these group text messages and, and the things that were being introduced. And, and, and I, I got scared. And I was like, I started looking into, like, how much does Salem Academy cost? And, and I asked my wife, like, uh, hey, how do you feel about homeschooling? Uh, I was like, I was like really really concerned, really nervous about, like, my kids continuing in, in public school. The church, I mean, if you look at the nation, uh, at least in Western culture, the church is, is shrinking. You know, maybe not here in, in Silverton, but there are church buildings that have seven people that are coming on a weekly basis. Churches that have closed down altogether. Is all of this really going according to plan? I, I'll... I'll tell on ourselves a little bit as elders at the church recently, uh, and we've communicated this a little bit, uh, there, there was a kind of a downtick in giving, and, and as elders, we're praying, we're calling upon the Lord, but in reality, we're feeling a little bit nervous about, you know, what is the, the future of, of outward church and, 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 and our financial situation, and we're praying about that, and we're considering what cost uh, reductions that we can make, and we're wondering, is, is all of this going according to plan? Because I'm feeling like God's not doing everything that he said he was going to do. I, I, I feel like I, sh I should start taking this into my own hands. I don't want to give anything away, but God hears our prayers, he answers, and spoiler alert, God does have a plan. And this is all going according to plan. I want, I want you to, you guys are wondering, like, why am I talking about a plan? If, if you heard what Audrey wrote, I just want to read it again, okay? What, what Paul is talking about is the mystery of God's plan that's being revealed to us right here, and that Paul is chosen to reveal this great mystery. I just, I just want to read this, read this to you as I kind of shape our conversation here a little bit. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. God has a plan. But we try to get in the way 
disrupt that plan. We try to help God along. We think, like Abraham, we think that we've heard God's promise of his plan. We believe that the, church, that the gates of hell will not stand against, the, against his church. And so we think like, okay, that, that, that must mean we've got to work really hard at making this church really successful. Uh, because we've got to make God, God's plan come together. If you consider throughout history... God's plan cannot be thwarted, though there are many times when we've been in a place where we're wondering, God, are you still in control here? This is a part of the plan? Are you sure? Have you left? Consider, Adam, Adam perfection. We break it up with sin. God's plan is not thwarted. He's not surprised by it. He, he sets in plan a motion of redemption through Jesus. And he chooses Abraham and he says, you're going to be a father of many nations. But that doesn't happen. Not for a while. And he's old. So he says, okay, well, I'll help God out. I'll bring Hagar in. They have uh, an illegitimate child with, with his wife's handmaiden. Or I can't remember actually what the word is for her. Uh, like assistant. Uh, and then... And then Isaac comes, and, 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 and Jacob, who becomes Israel, and, and finally, the 12 sons. Okay, now I can start to see the plan. The plan is coming together, that God's going to make this great people that he will call his people. But then famine. So then they got to go to Egypt? Luckily, their brother, who they'd thrown in a pit and sold to slavery, had risen to power. God's got this, and he gets them into Egypt and keeps them alive in the famine. But then they're enslaved. For 400 years, they're wondering, God, we're a great people now, but we're slaves. Did you forget about the plan? Then Moses comes, delivers the people, but rebellion keeps them wandering in the wilderness. And so he raises up Joshua, and he leads them to the promised land. But there's giant armies, and there's no way we can take this land. But God conquers that land, and he establishes for them a government through the judges. And they question, yeah, but what if we just all did what was right in our own eyes? To the point where they would want a king, and enter Saul, and he's a total disaster. But now we have some hope on the horizon with David and Solomon, and the temple is finally built. We, have, we now have... Finally, after all of these years, God has a dwelling place with his people, his people Israel. But this doesn't last long. A family feud with Solomon's own sons creates a divided nation of Israel. And we have the, the northern tribes and the southern tribes. And we, they, Israel does not get along from that point forward and makes them completely vulnerable to Babylonian uh, uh, entrance into Israel, a total destruction of the temple, and Israel is taken out into slavery once again. God, do you really still have this? See, we know the end of the story, right? They come back, they rebuild the wall, they start rebuilding the temple, and then God goes silent. God, 400 years of silence. And a little baby comes. Little baby comes. It's Jesus. He's here. And what's the first thing that we try to do? 
we try to kill him while he's a baby. Ironically, safety is found in Egypt once again for Jesus. He grows. He enters in, back into Jerusalem, begins his ministry. He's bringing the kingdom, and finally we can see God's plan is coming into fruition. But it's not exactly the way we wanted it, so we killed him. You see, God's plan is never thwarted. His plan is always in place. And even when we kill his Savior that he sends for us, he doesn't stay dead. He rises again. And then he, through the Great Commission, sends all of us out to the edges, to the ends of the world. But then this guy Saul comes along and he starts cutting it down, cutting, it at, cutting him at the, at the, at the knees. And this movement, who is, who, which is the church, the spirit of God, falls down like fire on this group of people. And they are doing amazing things in preaching God's word. Spreading the news of the gospel. And in comes this, this leader, Saul, who is, who is tearing it down. But God's plans would not be thwarted. He converts Paul in an instant and he uses him, this very person, to be the one who would give the message to the very people that he was killing, to the very movement that he was trying to squash. And so kind of a, an agreement to divide this, this news, this good news, this gospel, is divided between kind of Peter who would lead in Israel and Paul who would lead in the Gentile nations. So Paul then would be sent out to start churches among the Gentiles because God's plan all along was to save not only Israel, but all of humanity. I, for one, am very grateful for this good news because I'm not Jewish, not even close. And so that means that I'm not a part of God's chosen people as they would have understood up until that time that it was revealed even though it was prophesied in places like Jeremiah and Zechariah that God, God's heart, his plan all along was a redemption for all of mankind that he would make a people not only of Israel but of everyone outside of Israel too to all who would believe. This was God's great plan. I ask the question, when I look at this, why a mystery though? Why, why did God leave this as a mystery to be revealed at this moment? Well, why any of it? I mean, Paul anticipating this question at the very end of verse 9 says, who created all things? All of verse 9 says, and to bring to light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery for the ages in God and anticipating the question of but why was it a mystery why wouldn't God just tell us right from the beginning well Paul added who created all things God created all things I think he gets to have a plan about how things would go and it was in his infinite wisdom and his sovereignty that he would reveal these things in this way that has been the plan for all time at this time God always had 
this plan in place. He created all things. He gets to have this plan. But what is this great plan? His plan is you. You are his plan. Now that that feels like an uncomfortable weight. But consider this. God, since the foundation of the earth, had in mind each one of you who he would save and he would send on mission to be spreading the good news about who he is so that all who believe would be saved. And as it says in Romans, how will they believe unless they have heard and how will they heard unless, it, unless, they, are, unless, uh, unless they preach and how will they preach unless they are sent. See, Paul's commission to go and tell the good news is for us too. And where Paul's going in the book of Ephesians is he's, he's going to how we should be as a church. He's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus and saying, I, I need you to understand your greater purpose in the whole of God's plan so that you could be a light that would display God's love, his mercy, his kindness. That we would put on display the glory of God. That he would, through us, save the world. It starts to feel like an impossible weight. I don't know how you feel. How do you feel knowing that you are God's plan? That God plans to save the world through you. Does that feel like a weight? Does that feel like an impossibility? Does that feel like a good plan? I mean, couldn't God have done it in a different way? He wants to use us. You're God's plan. Let me, let me uh, go back to the passage here. In, in verse 8, I'm kind of moving backwards, just a, just a touch here. It says, uh, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Now, now Paul felt that weight, I think, a little bit too. He noticed the irony, the great irony of it. To me? In fact, that to me actually requires some context for us to go one verse further back of, in verse 7. It says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me. It was given to me? To me? To me. It's given to me. But I'm the least of all the saints. Why does Paul say that? Why does Paul say that he's the least of all the saints? Don't we kind of see Paul as like a great biblical hero? He wrote uh, more books of the New Testament than anybody else. Isn't he kind of a hero of our faith? Why is he the least of all the saints? Well, we could consider 
that a posture of humility is required. And I, I believe that that's true, absolutely. But I think there's a couple of things happening here in the context. Number one, Paul's in prison. So he kind of has to remind the people here who might be freaking out a little bit that the guy who started their church is in prison. He's like, don't worry about it. I'm the least of the saints. Like, God's going to do his thing. Whether or not it's me, through me, or through somebody else, don't worry about it. God's going to do his thing. But also, consider the great irony. Paul, the Christian-killing super-Jew, is the one who's asked to lead the Gentile front of the Christian movement. It, it, it should be anybody but me. But this is the way God works. God uses the, God, God does the impossible through the improbable. God uses the improbable to do the impossible. This is, this is how God works. They all said, who, me? Abraham did, Moses did, David did. Paul certainly does. Throughout Throughout history, the people that God has come to and called and said, you, yes, you are the plan, the first response is always, who, me? So Paul says, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, this is what Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus. This is, this is what he's saying. He's, he's saying that I've been asked by God to tell you. But this, this message is meant to be an encouragement for them. And you'll, we'll see it later, later in, this, in, this, uh, in this book of Ephesians. We'll see it. He's saying, as I am doing, so you do also. So we could personalize this verse and read it to me. Though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Was grace given to you? Did God do the impossible to the improbable in you? Do you have an awareness of, of what God has saved you from? Do you have an awareness of what God has saved you to? This grace has been given to you to preach. Now, not everybody's preaching, but this, this word is actually evangelion, or I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's, it's the word we get evangelism from. It's to tell the good news. Each one of us has been given a grace to tell the good news of what? of the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now here's the good news that I have for you. God's plan was Jesus. He's gonna do it through you, but God's plan is Jesus. It does not depend on you. It is not as though people will not be saved if you don't open your mouth because nothing will thwart God's plan. God will save his people. Jesus says in John 6 that all that the Father has given me will come to me. 
They will come. And if God won't use you, he'll use somebody else. So it actually doesn't depend on you. However, God's plan is you. So how do, we, how do we work that out? Well, he gives that to us in telling us that what we're preaching, the good news that we're telling, is the unsearchable riches of Christ. And in order for you to preach it, you got to know it. And in fact, in a couple of verses, Paul uses this term that says that you would know the love of Jesus that surpasses knowledge. What is knowing that surpasses knowledge? What is, what is a knowing beyond knowledge? I see this as, as experiential. Like, like the difference between knowing that honey is sweet and tasting honey and, and being able to describe its sweetness. So that you would know beyond knowing, experientially know the love of Jesus. You have to have searched the unsearchable riches of Christ in order to preach, to tell the good news of the unsearchable riches of Christ. So what are these unsearchable riches? Well, first, I want to clarify the unsearchable. Now, when it says unsearchable, it's not like don't bother, can't even be searched. It's more like the universe, as we look out into the stars and we develop greater and greater technology to see further and further into space, and the more that we study science and, and physics, the more that we, we look, the farther we can see, the more we realize it keeps going. It's unsearchable. We think we found the bottom of the ocean until we find Mariana's Trench. And then we finally develop something that can get, get down to the bottom of Mariana's Trench and it even exceeds what our understanding capacity was. Much of the ocean on this tiny blue dot that is in the universe is uncharted and unexplored. We would call the ocean unsearchable. Though, I'll bet we figure it out eventually, some technology. But the riches of Christ are unsearchable. And I want to I make this practical. I want to make this personal because the unsearchable riches of Christ, first and foremost, is Christ himself. We have Jesus. Consider the Great Commission in Matthew 28. It says, and Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority on heaven and on earth had been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Ever wonder why we, we are here? Why are we here? What is the point of, of, of why we are here? If, if God's great plan is to gather his people to himself, then why are we here? If I'm still alive, then God still has me as a part of his plan. What's his great plan? At just the right moment, Jesus will return, and nothing will thwart that plan. Jesus will come in, he'll ride in on a horse with a sword coming out of his mouth or something like that. We don't understand exactly what it's going to look like or how it's going to look, but Jesus will return, and it will happen exactly according to plan at exactly the right moment. And nothing can thwart that plan. 
And what we are doing between now and then, what really matters in between now and then, is it the environment? Is it the economy? Is it America? Are these the most important things? Is this our great existential purpose and plan until Jesus returns? His great plan and purpose for each and every one of us is this great commission. This is not just specifically for the people who were in attendance there. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's for everyone. Teaching to observe all that I have commanded you. And we know that part. But the part that gets left off is maybe the most important part. We see that all of our life is discipleship. We're, 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 we're teaching our kids to love Jesus. We're, we're helping our friends to love Jesus. We're telling our coworkers the unsearchable riches of Christ. But we live sometimes, we act sometimes like it all depends on us. Like I've, I've got to get, get better at sharing my story before I actually share my story. I can't, I can't go in there all unprepared the last part of the commission is the most important part of the commission it says and i'm sure it was on your screen so you already saw and behold i'm with you to the end of the age what is jesus doing right now sure sitting sitting at the right hand of jesus yes have you ever considered there's, there's something that we understand. This is something that I may be just learning in the last two years of my life. There's all these things that Jesus has done historically that we can look at and learn about. We can look at and learn about what Jesus is going to do in the future. But what's he doing right now? He tells us right here. I'm with you always. I'm with you as you're going. As you're parenting your kids, he has something to say to you in every moment. Like actual Jesus, guys, creator of the world, is sitting here in this room, is with you on your drive home. And he's not just watching, he actually has something to say to you. He says, I'm the good shepherd, and my sheep hear my voice. How do we hear God's voice? Well, he is speaking. This week, I'll tell on myself, my wife knows I was, I was in a pretty grumpy mood all week this week. Uh, and my kids probably experienced that too. And I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure out why I was feeling the way that I, that I was. I think maybe only just last night or this morning as I'm praying and I'm asking God for help, why am I feeling this way? And I think there were, there were some, some thoughts I had about the work that we were doing, whether we were talking about what to do with, with THX this year or things that we were working on in the church. And, and I was like, I think I was just thinking, I got to do this. I got to make this happen. I got to power through. Even though I'm not loving the way that I'm feeling right now, this, I've got to do something. The weight of this moment is, is on my shoulders. 
And I did silly things like coming out here and installing carpet in the kids' classrooms and adjusting the connection on this TV, which didn't actually fix it because it still blinks on and off. But this, this work was making me grumpy. And what work was this? This is God's work, right? I mean, I'm working on the church. I should be filled with joy. But I'm, I never once sat and asked, Jesus, is this what you want me to be working on right now? Is this what you want me to be thinking about right now? This is the riches of Christ, is that we have the personal Jesus. And my timer got reset back there, so I'm not sure exactly how much time I have, but I'm going to jump right in, and I'm going to close this, uh, close this up. Uh, but I, I want you guys to see a couple of things, to just back this up, that, that I could talk to you about like how amazing Jesus is, but we got to first start with that Jesus is with us in every moment, that he has ministry that he wants to do with you, to you, for you. He has something to say, and we have, our, our role is to stay connected to him, that he's the vine, we're the branches. If we abide in him, we'll bear much fruit. But we cannot be a branch apart from him. Th these are some of the words that Jesus used. In John 5, it says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. He just called them out on their Bible reading. He's saying you're looking into scriptures thinking that you're going to find the how to live. Do you guys do that? Do you read the Bible looking for instructions for life? I mean, I think we're supposed to, right? But Jesus just called them out for it. You're searching the scriptures thinking that you're going to find eternal life there. It's they that bear witness about me, Jesus says. Come to me that you may have life. I'm learning that this is, this is, an, this is not metaphorical. This is not figurative. We are actually supposed to listen for the actual voice of Jesus. Because he actually has things to say to us about how we live our lives. He has something to say about what we post online. He has something to say about the way we talk to somebody else. He has something to say about the unforgiveness that we're holding against. And he's not judging. He's smiling and he's inviting you to walk closely with him. His own disciples, if you, if you aren't getting this, by the way, I'm, I'm barely getting this. I'm 41 years old. I'm barely getting this. His own disciples didn't get this, okay? In, in John 14, it says, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, and you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? He's been walking with Jesus for years at this point. We don't know the way, Jesus. Jesus assumes, like, you know the way. You know the way to get to where I'm going. We don't know where you're going or how to get there. We don't know the way. And Jesus says it so clearly for them. But for some reason, it's, it's, it, it feels not clear still until it becomes clear. Jesus answered. Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him.
Jesus is God's great plan. And not just the moment that he died for your sins. He continues to be. Hebrews 4 says that he's the great high priest who's not unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. That he's walking alongside of us saying, I know, I felt that too. I experienced that too. I'm with you. I'm with you to the end of the age. I'm never not with you. I always have ministry for you. I'm always caring for you. My sheep hear my voice. Jesus is God's great plan throughout eternity. Everything that is made was made through Jesus. The riches of Jesus are unsearchable. We could spend the rest of our lives just staring at who Jesus is. And the more that we know Jesus, the more that we know God. So we can actually go to the Gospels and say, God, is that how you are? The way that Jesus was to the woman at the well? Like, seeing all the sin that she had and, and, and inviting her to just be with him. Is that who you are, God? Is that your nature? Is that your character? I see Jesus being interrupted on the way to heal Jairus for a woman who just touches you, desiring healing, and he stops and he spends time with her. God, is that how you are? Is that how you see me too? We can actually go and look at the life that Jesus lived. And we don't, we don't, we don't take his morals, we don't take his teaching, we take his character. His nature. To know him. To know beyond knowing the love of Christ. That's in a couple of weeks, I don't want to take anything away from that. I want to I end there. Uh, I want to invite the ushers to come forward for, for communion. But what we have for us, church, focus in here. There's going to be a little bit of movement as people get up. But just focus in here, okay? Next week, we're going to see in verse 10 that it's, it is the church. God's great plan is through the church. You know what that means? It means in our future, what we have, in our present, what we have, is God's great plan unfolding as we start to know and experience the love of Jesus. And we start to become the church, a light on a hill. I'm going to invite you guys to stand up now and, and go ahead and grab communion. There's two cups. Grab both cups and, and take those back to your seat. We'll take communion all together. Thank you. What we're doing now and what we will do as we continue in worship is to start to search the unsearchable riches of Christ. It begins here, his body that was sacrificed for you. Colossians, I think it's in Colossians 1, uh, uh, it says, set your mind could be later in Colossians. Set your mind on things that are above. Set your mind on Christ. 